Hello, and welcome to The Franchise Life. I'm your host, Stacey Shannon. Today's concept is one that will stimulate your taste buds as it's a fast, casual food and beverage concept called Nautical Bowls. With me today, I have Peter Taunton, co-founder and CEO of Nautical Bowls, and as he will share with us, a serial entrepreneur that started with as I recall, a popcorn stand in front of his father's business. Welcome, Peter. Hey, thanks, Stacey. You know, I've been looking forward to this interview for for a month now, so happy to be here. Awesome. So glad to hear that. All right. Well, please share your story, where you started from that popcorn stand and what took you to opening Nautical Bowls. Well, you know, I'll give you the abbreviated version, but I, was, I had my first experience in, in entrepreneurism was literally working in front of my father's grocery store. I grew up, and, and, and just to, to bring validation or bring context to where I started, I, I literally grew up in a small Midwestern town in Minnesota. Um, we grew up youngest of seven, my identical twin and I, youngest of seven kids. I went to school in a two-room schoolhouse. Uh, I quit college. So, you know, I always tell people, if I was a stock, you would have shorted me for sure. And, <laughs> uh, but my first experience in, in, in being an entrepreneur was selling uh, popcorn in front of my father's grocery store. He owned a small grocery store in my hometown. And I didn't know at the time that many of my life lessons that, that I would learn, I would learn in that three-year tenure of me selling popcorn in front of his grocery store. There was some amazing experiences, some tough lessons to be learned, but um, you know, I, I'm, I'm appreciative for all of those things. And, and uh, that was kind of my springboard as being an entrepreneur. And then and then things blossomed as, as I as I left college in my early 20s. So, OK, so you started. What were some of those early lessons you learned that you speak of? Well, I mean, one of the first and remember it so vividly, my uh my father walks past me. I'm behind my popcorn stand and I'm like, I'm eight years old. I'm a kid. I'm a little boy. Right. And my father walks past my grocery store and he gets about 30, 40 feet past me and he stops in his tracks. He pivots looking right at me now and he starts back towards me. And I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, what did I do now? Right. He stops in front of me. He says, son, how are sales? And I was just getting ready to get into my, eight-year-old dissertation of, of why sales were a little flat. And I got about five words deep into it. And he starts, he puts his hand up. He says, son, your sales are slow because you're just sitting back there waiting for people to walk up. He says, if you want to drive your business, you got to get off from behind that counter and you've got to ask people if they'd like some of your popcorn. You got to sell it. And then he says, you know what, son, you're either going to watch things happen or you're going to make things happen. You pick and then he turned around and he kept walking, right? So that resonated with me. That that stuck in me. I sat back. I, I waited for him to get out of eyesight because I was a shy kid. So going up to complete strangers and saying, hey, uh, I, would you like some popcorn? I just made it. It's fresh. It's hot. It tastes great. You know, I, I'm sure I fumbled a thousand times before I, it felt like it flowed off my tongue. And um, anyway, but, but it was a great lesson. Yeah, I mean, I learned that. I learned compassion from my father. Um, you know, I learned so many lessons. I, one, of the, one of the greatest lessons I learned from my father was he, he, people that worked for him would literally, they'd walk on fire for him. And I tell you how he got that. He got that respect from his employees. 
because he put himself above nothing or no one, meaning he owned this little grocery store, but you would see him working the checkout stand. You'd see him carrying out groceries. You'd see him helping the people stock their shelves. You'd see him shoveling the sidewalk, doing all of that, and then running his running his business. So he had, you know, he just was just a grinder. He, I, one of my favorite words is grit. He had grit, and people respected that about him. And for that, they gave him loyalty and hard work, which was. Amazing. And as I got older today, many of those qualities that I learned from my father uh, inherently come with me today. Hey, look, I would say don't mistake kindness for weakness, but there's there's nothing I'll ask any of my employees to do that I wouldn't do myself. And I also give give people the power to to run their division, to run their department, which is why I was able to build so many amazing brands. I mean, today, I've got, I have roughly 6,000 locations across three brands in 28 countries. That, that doesn't happen by one person. That's, that's by me standing on the shoulders of some amazing people that I've had the opportunity to work with and to mentor along the way. And some of those people today, as I launch my next brand here, there'll be many of those people that I'll pull back into my, into my, my you know, silo, if you will, of opportunity just to say, hey, look, I'm launching another brand. Would you like to? Would you like to come on board? Because some of these people, they're like Navy SEALs, man. They just they just never quit. They have grit, and there's nothing that you can't ask them to do. They won't do. Why? Because they had a front row seat to the American dream. They had a front row seat to what it takes to win in business and in franchising and in leadership. Oh, what what a great platform! And you know, it's funny because our you know, learning from our fathers or grandfathers. Uh, that was really how I was introduced into entrepreneurism as well. My first exposure was my dad decided there were six of us kids. It was a blended family. He decided that we were going to do a taco stand at the county fair. So in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, every year for several years, I had the pleasure of working two weeks at a taco stand and our tacos yeah. were two for a dollar. And trust me, he had us out in front also trying to drum up business. So <laughs> I can, yeah, hustling, but you know, you touch on a very important aspect and that is leading by example. And through these various businesses, which I want to learn more about the different brands, but through these various businesses, if you actually get people to follow you, that is a testament to the culture that you've built and, yeah, you know, sure. the work ethic that they see in you. So we are here to talk about Nautical Bowls, which I think is one of your most recent brands. But yeah. between the popcorn stand and Nautical Bowls, what other brands have you developed? Well, Snap Fitness is one of my brands. Um, um, Fitness on Demand is one of my brands. Uh, Nine Round, Nine Round. When I got involved with that concept, was a a baby concept. They had about fifteen locations. Young couple, ambitious, and uh, I got involved with, with those people and and uh, just said, "Hey, look, I I, I appreciate." It. it was just literally a, a a random call for me that I wanted to make. Um, I had planned to call them and just congratulate them on creating a kind of unique little niche um, within the franchise space. Cause I was in the fitness space 
And I just called it and I said, hey, guys, uh, Peter Talton here just wanted to wish you, you know, just congratulate you on on what, what you're doing. I, I, I'm seeing bits and pieces of it. I'm hearing little rumblings here and there, but I like what you're doing, you know, stay the course. And that, and, and then that evolved into quickly a conversation, you know, what would you do? Because look, I like what they were doing, but there were many things I would have done differently. Okay. And they said, what would you do differently? And I said, look, you know what, if you want, if you want me, if you want to get to the promised land of, of franchising, then I'll be a partner of yours. Okay, I'll be, I'll be a partner of yours. And at that time I paid for, I bought 40% of the company and I told them, Hey, look, if I can't have 40% of the company, it's okay. I understand. It's no big deal. But if I can, if I don't, if I don't have 40%, then the windfall is not worth it for me because the time it's going to take and the effort I'm going to have to put forth, I'm not doing this to make, to grow you from 18 to a hundred locations, which you know, as well as anyone, if you have a hundred locations of anything in franchising, you're in the top 1% of any franchise that's ever been created. Okay. hundred. It's not, people think this is easy. It's not. So I said, look, you know what? You know, I, I believe that I can take you to the promised land. My promised land is I think I can grow you to a thousand, which is such an elite class of franchisor. They made the right decision. Honestly, they made the right decision. They bet. And I say this all the time. Sometimes you need to bet on the horse. And in this case, I was the horse because I knew I was, for me, I knew what I had to do because that stuff comes easy for me. I don't know why I can't explain it, but the way that my, my DNA is wired, when I go into any business, I can immediately see things that I would change, what I would immediately do to make it more customer facing, more relevant in the eyes of the consumer, where they're, where they're sloppy on their operating and overhead expense, how they consolidate some things, vertical integration. That, that's my wheelhouse. That's what I do. Peter, Peter, I think the Shark Tank just found one of their newest sharks. (laughs) I I would love, you know what, I would love to do a, I would love to do a, you know, a a watered down version of Shark Tank. (laughs) I would love to do that and then, and then participate with them. You know, I don't know the back end of those things, but you know, that kind of stuff really inspires me. So in, you know, so building the franchises and whatnot. And for me, I did that for 20 years. I got involved with, with, with nine round and grew my brands. And then three and a half years ago, I stepped down. I stepped down as the CEO of those brands that I had founded. And, and, and because I wanted to try something else, I didn't know what something else looked like for me. So I became a Forbes uh, masterclass instructor and, and did some, did a lot of work, did a lot of consulting. And then through the consulting, my phone never slowed down ringing. And so then I became more, um, more specific on who I wanted to help. And then th- this is an important point. There's no, there's no shortage of people out there that need help. But here's what I found. If I engage a company and maybe they're dropping 200,000 to the bottom line, let's just pick that number. If it's a company that's dropping 200,000 to the bottom line, it's what really what they have is a job for themselves. Because in many cases, they pull the money out of the business to support their lifestyle, okay? So it's their job. It's their business, and that supports their lifestyle. They upgrade their home. They upgrade their cars. They upgrade their trip, their, you know, their vacations. That's one thing. Now, for me, I only get involved with companies that are dropping at least 500000 to the bottom line. And the reason for that is they've invested in technology in most cases, 
They've invested in technology. They they have some redundancy within their leadership, meaning it's not a one-man wrecking crew. They have some other people within a chain of command. When I can embrace a company at that level, now I have something to work with, okay? I can't work with something where they have no technology, they have no second or third in command. It's just a one-man wrecking crew. I can give them some great insight, but really the juice isn't worth the squeeze. And it doesn't matter who you are or how much you have. We all only get 24 hours in a day. So I've elected to to be more selective in how I spend those 24 hours and still trying to maintain balance. And are these businesses that you tend to get involved with, are they primarily in the franchise industry? So Not all of them. Not all of them. I get people all the time. I, I had a group that approached me there in the real estate space, okay, not franchising, and they were selling licenses, okay? And I got involved with that company. And once again, for me, I don't, I don't charge for my fee. What I'll do is I'll visit with them sometimes a day, maybe two days, to learn a little bit more about what they're doing and, and enough to where I can form an educated decision on do I want to step forward or not. If I step forward, then I say, look, if you want me to work with you, it's going to require equity in your company because I'm not, I'm not going to take you to here if, I, if I'm not going to financially benefit. And, and, and candidly, you can't pay me enough to want to keep me around. All right. I mean, that's just how it is. And I'm not being arrogant. I'm just being real that, look, I, if you want my fire, then I've got to feel like if I take you to where you want to go, there's benefit for you. That company in two years, they quadrupled their EBITDA. Okay. In two years. So now they're, they're planning an exit and my exit in that deal, it's going to be a, it's going to be a fair deal. I deserve the exit that's coming. Okay. I, because without that input, without those changes, I not only showed them how to make real money, number one, but I showed them how to create redundancy in their leadership so they can exit because if you're the business and you leave, you're not. Nobody's going to pay a premium for that. Right. You've got. You've got to have redundancy there. You've got to have systems and processes and leadership. You got to plan for it. You got to plan for your exit. So all those things are invaluable for any you know young entrepreneur. And these weren't necessarily young entrepreneurs, but but they were young in in experience, lacking experience in the big picture of how to build a business and how to exit. Sure. So let's take a step back. You, it sounds like your experience in the franchise industry was primarily in the fitness space. So how did we get from those fitness brands that you mentioned, Nine Rounds, Snap Fitness, and so forth, to coming up with the nautical bowls concept? Okay, so I didn't have to come up with it. I mean, literally, in this office that I'm sitting in right now, about a year and a half ago, my phone rings one day, and it's this young couple, 25-year-old couple, and they say, hey, Peter, we, we've, we've read a lot about you, we heard a lot about you, and you know what? We live like a mile from you, and we have this acai bowl concept, and uh, we have a couple of locations. We think we have something, and we were, we're thinking about expanding in the Minneapolis area. They were they had no experience in franchising. The franchising thought never even came came in their head. All right, and I said by all means. The next morning they came by. We're we're sitting here having coffee, and they're telling me about their business. Right, I love their passion, and that's honestly that's the first thing that drew me to them was just their passion. 
because if you have passion and in, in, through my lens, if you have passion and you're coachable, I'm interested in you. I'm genuinely interested in you. Okay. But if you're going to come in and try to tell me you've got all the answers, then I'm just going to say, you know, good, good luck to you go, you, you know, good, good luck. You're on your way. You've got your, you've got what you need. Right. So they weren't, they were very coachable. And I told them if it were me, I would, I would franchise this concept, make a long story short. They said, look, we don't have any franchise experience. And I said, that's what I do. So, and no one, no one likes to hear their babies ugly. Okay. So you got to be, when I say you're coachable, I'm going to look at things in your business because for me, I'm not looking to take your business from two to 10, which is huge growth. That's five X growth. I'm not interested in doing that. I'm interested in looking at your business. I'm going to dummy it down to, and I'm going to make sure that I dummy it down. Take, I always tell, I always say, if it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense. So I'm going to get rid of the stuff that is just clutter. And I'm a, when you get down, when you get down to it, this is just going to be a straightforward business. And I was surprised when I looked in the outside evil space and, and just to backpedal for a moment, they didn't have franchise experience. I said, I do long story short, I'm equal partners with them. And I said, here's, here's my rule. We'll be equal partners. I run the company. Okay. That, that's pretty simple, right? If you don't have any, they made the right call. They made the right decision. They're both now Bryant is amazing on operations. Okay. I couldn't have a better operational wingman than Bryant. Okay. Rachel's busy chasing their three young kids, but she also has some marketing experience. So she's, she adds her value in the marketing department. And I think between Rachel and Bryant, they bounce ideas off of each other. So it's a very, the, the dynamic of our partnership works. Okay. But they respect what I've done historically and they expect what I'm doing today. So I, re, I revamped the business a little bit, simple, simplified it, dummied it down, made the footprint a little smaller. And I said, look, all we're doing is acai bowls. Here's what surprised me, um, Stacy. When I looked at this business, I was surprised how fragmented it is. And what I mean by that is people, they're selling acai bowls, salads, smoothies, avocado toast. You know, I always tell people, look, if it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense. That every time you add these components to your restaurant, the footprint gets a little bit bigger. The menu is larger, obviously. The training is more technical. All the, it all compounds, okay? And I said, look, all we're going to do is acai bowls, but we're going to do it better than anyone else. That's our goal. And I, I tell people all the time, I tell my franchise prospects that come in, hey, look, if you're looking for a $7 bowl, we're not your answer. Okay. I have no interest in being the Kmart of the acai bowl space. And, and fortunately for me, nor, nor does my partners. All right. We, our bowls, they're plant-based, dairy-free, gluten-free, organic, and no refined sugar. I mean, just think about that. That is right in the wheelhouse of what the consumer is looking for. I talk about this all the time in business. Make sure your product is relevant, okay? It, because it doesn't matter what you and I think is relevant. The customer is going to validate your product with their pocketbook, okay? With their willingness to spend, if they're not buying your product, it doesn't matter. Don't sit around and smoke your own exhaust, drink your own Kool-Aid, <laughs> pick, pick your own analogy. This is not a pet project, okay? We're in business to make money, and I promise you, every franchisee that knocks on my door 
or every prospect that knocks on my door and they say, Peter, you know, I'm, I'm interested in getting into some kind of business. I don't know what. I could tell you one thing I know for sure. They want to make money. Okay. And, and you know, I, I talk about this all the time. When I'm getting into a business, putting my Forbes hat on now, any business I'm looking at, I ask myself, number one, how much cash do I have to put out to get in this business? How much cash do I have to outlay? Number one. Number two, how does the business perform? And then the third one, equally as important, how much of my time is it going to take? 90% of my franchisees are semi-absentee owners, meaning 90% of them are keeping their day job. That's a big deal. Okay. Big deal. Yeah, that definitely is. And I would say nine out of the 10 people I talk to day in and day out in my franchise consulting business are looking for semi-passive opportunities. So you touched on a few things and, and really nautical bulls is one of those concepts. It's a small footprint. It's a reasonable investment level. And we'll get into that a little bit more in detail, but you absolutely hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, it's what the consumer wants. So I myself am allergic to dairy. So I have a terrible time going out to eat, finding, you know, foods or especially prepackaged. But, um, you know, a concept like this where a consumer can tailor the, uh, you know, the end ingredient or the end product to fit their dietary needs is incredible. So you're hitting mm-hmm. on, I mean, trends, you know, millennials, I, I mean, even Peter, people our age are becoming a little more health conscious. So 100%. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we care about what we put in our bodies. There's never been a time in my history where there's more awareness of of what's healthy for you, what's good to eat. And you are seeing more healthful brands pop up in the industry. So, Mm -hmm. so all of those, I love the simplicity of the business model. So let me ask you this. Let's, let's go back to semi-passive ownership because, you know, a lot of brands do say that they're semi-passive and when you really dig into it, uh, that means something very different to to different people. But my individuals that I work with primarily, they're wanting to spend 10, maybe not more than 15 hours a week on the business. Sometimes it extends up to 20, but I even tell people that 20 hours a week when you are working a full-time job, you have a family and so forth, that's stretching it. So No question. What does semi-passive ownership look like for the investors in your model? Well, first of all, you 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 bring up Stacy some great points. Okay, now number one, when a when a candidate comes to us, I always say we don't sell franchises; we award opportunities. Okay, and that that's not just getting cute with words. I mean, we award opportunities. We make sure that that they're a good fit for us, and obviously, we're a good fit for them. So we make sure that we get buy-in from the family. Hey, look, what does is, what is owning a business look like for you? To get into our business, it requires 100000 cash. So we are considered a low-end business opportunity to get into. It's 100000 cash, and then on top of that, you're going to finance 250000 So the all-in is three fifty. but you come to the table with $100,000, we will finance two fifty. 
and we'll finance it over 10 years for you with no, no penalty for early payoffs. So it's an affordable business, but everyone has a different idea of what does owning a business look like, especially if you're doing this for the first time. So we, we ask that question and then we listen and we tell them, look, it's, it's most of our people are semi-absentee owners. What does that mean? If you, if you want to establish a culture, we assume everyone, we assume every competitor in the space is going to gravitate to be who we are. If, if, if they don't, they have no chance. Okay. I mean, that's how I look at it right now. They're just educating my customer. I believe that I can go open up near any one of my competitors and, and, and their customer is going to love my product more than theirs. That's what I believe. All right. But anyone can make a bowl. It's going to get right down to the community and culture that we create within our four walls. And this is true with just about any business out there today where you're dealing face to face with the consumer. So we tell them, look, being a semi-absentee owner, that is a gift that you earn by being a, a business owner. Now, if you're going to go in there and spend 30 minutes a week in your store, I, I would not recommend it. Here's what you need to do. Be in your store early on for the first month. Be present because culture and leadership starts at the top and you are the head of the spear. You are the business owner. You are the face of the brand. Our stores, it's one manager and 15 part-time employees. Okay. One manager. Even when we look at our pro forma, we've already factored in a salary for a manager. That's how confident we are that you're going to leave the business. So we've already factored in a budget for your manager. And then you have 15 part-time employees, not like many restaurants where it's like herding cats. You got 60, 70 people. That's not us. Okay. So we tell them if you've got a store that's performing, like most of our stores do, you're dropping 10, 15, 20,000 to the bottom line every month. What does that mean to leave? You're not present. Okay. You're not in the business every day. I tell them the importance, you've got to swing into the business and you've got to give out some attaboys, some pats on the back. You've got to let them know that, that you appreciate that they're loved, they're respected and they're appreciated because the culture, that's what you're doing. You're creating a culture. Our stores, they've got great energy, smiling staff. I always say we don't sell bowls. We serve them. That's our mindset. When we have people lined out our door, we're not thinking to ourselves, oh, my gosh, we're getting slammed. That's not our mindset. The most important customer is the one standing right in front of you, and we engage them, okay? When somebody walks into our store, we ask them, are you one of our loyalty customers? Well, what's that? That gets you, that gets you free bowls, okay? And to do that, it's, they just download a QR code, and, and they have our app. But if you came into our store, Stacy, and I said, hi, welcome. Are you one of our loyalty customers? Yes, I'm 1782. As soon as I punched that in, oh, hey, Stacy, how you doing? Would you like a number three again with extra protein? I mean, or would you like extra co coconut, whatever it is? I know you. I know how often you're coming in. I know what your favorites are. All right. And when my, when my clerk is making your, your bowl, actually our deckhand, when our deckhand is making your bowl for you, they're interacting with you. And when they're done making your bowl, which takes less than two minutes, we're making it in front of you. We're not going in some back room and coming out 10 minutes later like most of our competitors. We make it right in front of you, just like Subway, just like Chipotle, right? Two minutes or less, we make your bowl. We don't slide it across the counter for you and hope you catch it. 
we hand it to you and say, hey, Stacy, thanks for coming in today. Hope to see you tomorrow. It's that interaction. It's that culture that, that is what makes us. And keep in mind, our footprint, we're 750 to 1,000 square feet. That's all we need. So very simple business. I always say it's a lemonade stand on steroids, honestly. <laughs> you know, it, it, for people really listening to what you're saying, that, you know, just changing the mindset of saying we don't sell bowls, we serve bowls. I mean, that right. is that is huge. And I mean, it, it just is... I love talking to positive people and that have a positive outlook on life and just cha- changing that mindset is huge and instilling that into your workforce or as you call it, which I had to chuckle deckhands to go with mm-hmm. the nautical theme. Um, right yeah. Trust me. You- I, I know all the nautical things cause I watch below deck so, I do too. <laughs> so you ask you ask me anything about yachting, although I've never stepped foot on one. I yeah. can tell you a lot. Um, yeah. So I love the theme. What a great story! I mean, just and I have to give kudos to to the couple that originated the idea. I mean. You also touched on the fact what really appealed to you and what they needed to be was coachable. And I would say that goes 100% for anybody looking to get into any brand and become a franchisee is you do have to be coachable because, Peter, you've worked with this couple, the co-founders, to refine this business model. They started, I believe you said, with two locations when yeah. they came to you and now, gosh, now you're over 80 plus locations. Is that accurate? No, we're, we're actually, I mean, we opened our first store about nine months ago, 10 months, 10 months ago. Now we opened our first store. We have, we have 20 open today. We'll have 40 open by Christmas, but we already today have awarded over a hundred. We're at 104 locations awarded. Wow. We'll be we'll be at 150 locations awarded by the end of this year. So by the end of this year, we'll have 40 open and probably 150 awarded territories. Next year, we'll double that. Next year, we'll open 80 new stores, which means we'll have 120 open and we'll probably sell 150 to 250 territories. That is incredible. So but me- that's in line, though. That, that's honestly, um, Stacey, people say, oh, Peter, that's incredible growth. Look. I, I mean, I believe, I believe getting into this, I believe that creating a concept that's, that's relevant, number one, affordable. It's got to be affordable. If, this, if, this, if, if the cash required for this thing was 250000 the margin of opportunity that this would appeal to would be this big. Right. But $100,000, you can darn near beg, borrow, and steal to get to one hundred grand to, to get into the game, Right. And the beautiful part, these stores perform. And I say, look, be patient. I mean, there's no lack of enthusiasm by people in general, as you know. I mean, if I had a dollar for every time somebody said, hey, Peter, I'm going to own 10 of these things. I tell them, great. But I ask them, I want to look through your lens. I I figure out, I want to know where they're at financially. Because part of my job with these people 
is to help them find their way to the promised land of financial freedom. Mm-hmm. All right. And there's some truth in that. Some people say, oh, you know, money can't buy you happiness. I always say, look, there's a little bit of bullshit, man. I'm just going to be honest with you. Money gives you choices. And, you know, the, the only people that say money can't buy you happiness are, are people that, that, that have a lot of money. I mean, honestly, I'll tell you straight up. Money gives you choices. Now, money can make you miserable if you want it. You know, you can go down that dark side if you want to. But if you're in a pl- place of, of appreciation and respecting the hard work and effort and risk that you took along the way, I can tell you there's nothing more rewarding. So when I sit down with people, I say, look, there's three things that, that, that winners all have. One is, is accountability, discipline. Look, without discipline, you don't hold yourself accountable. It's that simple. The third word is perspective. And, and the reason perspective is so important is today's day and age, when everybody can sit here and look at these damn things and, and it's, everybody's got their highlight reel on there. Everybody's making it look easier than it is. It's just fake news all over the place, right? I tell people, look, this road, it can be a long road to 10 locations. It's not going to happen overnight. But if you're reinvesting in your business, if you're leaning in, if this is if this is what drives you every day, and every successful entrepreneur will tell you the days of challenge, those hard days. I mean, people that have won and, and have won big, every one of us is going to talk about where the lessons were learned. The lessons were learned in the difficult times. That's where all the nuggets are. Anyone can run a company with the wind at your back. How do you roll? How do you show up in times of adversity, whether that's competitive pressure, whether that's inflation, right? whether that's COVID? I mean, name it. All these right. things kind of blindside you. So we help people be mentally prepared to win. You know, that's what's so important. I, I talk about that in my book, Impossible Hill. I talk about the mindset of what it takes to win. And honestly, if we lined up 100 people that were that were all very successful, there's some commonality amongst that entire group. And, it, and all of them are going to talk about overcoming adversity, every one of them. Well, gosh, I should have met you uh, back in 2014 when I opened up, my sister and I opened up our our fitness studio in, in Iowa. I would have loved to have had this discussion then. Yeah. Well, what fitness studio was? I'm just curious. Well, we had, it was a brand we came up with. It was called Burst. It was an indoor cycling studio, a spin studio. Yeah, right on. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so on a last note, well, uh, one thing I do want to go back to, because frankly, I don't know the answer to it, is you said if somebody comes with 100,000 cash, uh, then you can finance the remaining two fifty. You do you do in house financing, or you just mean you have relationships where people can get financing? We have extensive relationships, and and part of that comes from my twenty plus odd years of being in franchising. I mean, once I got once the word got out that I was back in launching another brand, there were several partners that I've worked with over the last twenty years that know that. As I said earlier in this interview, you know, sometimes you have to bet on the horse and, you know, these financing people, they know, hey, look, there's no business on the planet that is without risk, but they know that that I'm going to be very diligent and very thorough in the candidates 
and the qualification of the candidates. And, and, and to qualify for our financing, you need to have 100,000 cash liquid. You need to have a net worth north of $250,000, okay? And you need a FICO score of 750 or higher. To be honest with you, you know, if you don't, if you can't hit those triggers, you know, if you don't have a net worth of 250, it's, it's not that you can't be a business owner. You're just going to have to bring on a partner. And that's not a bad thing. That's not the end of the world. It doesn't mean that you're going to have a partner for the rest of your life, but you might need to have someone to give you the financial stability to qualify for the loan. I help people structure those deals all the time. I say, look, you know what? You just need somebody's balance sheet for the bank to be willing to take a risk on you. Right. And there are people and there are people out there that say, look, if you've got a failure rate within your system of 5% as an example, many people say, look, the likelihood of this store failing is going to be predicated on uh, an owner in this case, it's going to be an owner-operator, an owner-operator who's not willing to show up and work hard and dig in. So if you don't believe he's going to show up and work hard for you, you wouldn't want to be their partner anyway. Right. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So you got, to, you got to find a guy that's willing to work hard. And then for us, in our franchise concept, we help you identify your location. We help you negotiate your lease. So we're not, we're, our interests are completely aligned. The more you make, the more I make. I mean, what a beautiful synergy, right? I not only want you to be in a great location, I want to provide you creative marketing ideas so you can fly. I mean, my goal is to get you excited, get your store rolling, and then as you start getting financial stability and, and profiting, then I want to be able to help you go back to this bank and say, look, these guys would like to do another one. How do we leverage this location for them? So they can get into another location. You know what I mean? That's, I mean, that's capitalism at its finest right there. Yeah. And, and multi-unit ownership, that's where the wealth is gained as well. So, okay. Okay, Peter, on a last note, I am going to put you on the spot. And if you say you're not ready to make the announcement, then that's fine. But what are your plans with nautical bowls personally here in the near future? Well, look, I'm going to keep grinding just just like I just like I'm doing right now. I mean, this is my core focus. I do I do this probably 90% of my time. 10% of my time is still consulting for people that I've already committed to. Um, but you know, my goal here is to continue to grow this brand and 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 literally grow it to a significant number. You know, as I look at this number, you know, 500 500 plus locations is definitely reachable in the next five years or less. No question about it. So let you me- know, I, I talk about thousand locations all the time. All of my other brands have exceeded a thousand locations. Wow. But look, you know, the reality of it is even if you have 500 locations of this product, it's a hugely successful concept and it's here to stay. It's not a fad. People are, people are going to continue to gravitate towards plant-based, dairy-free, gluten-free, organic product. It's not going away. And we're not dessert. We don't compete with Ben and Jerry's. We're a meal replacement. Right. Big difference. Absolutely. So I'm going to take it one step further. Do you plan on opening any locations of your own anywhere time, anytime soon? I'm doing it. I'm doing it right now. I'm a believer. I'm a believer in my, in, in the concept. So for me, you know, I'm, I'm working with, with, with my founders, my, my two partners, and saying, look, let's let's build some stores. 
Keep in mind, when we build stores, we behave just like a franchise. We pay the franchise fee. We pay the royalties. We we behave just like a franchise within our system. With Snap Fitness, one of my other brands, at one time I owned 120 stores, okay? So, and every one of them paid royalties and did everything just like any franchisee would. And so we're doing the same thing. I'm opening stores in Miami right now. I'm looking at property in Nashville and I'm looking at property in, in uh, Iowa. And, and why Iowa? So I have to ask because I, um, I was born and raised in Iowa. Uh, it's definitely not the first place that people target to open up a business. So what's drawing you to Iowa? I, yeah, number number one, I think my partner from my the, the, there's a friend of mine who went to Iowa State, Chad Greenway, great guy, um, w- well liked in the community, a legend in Iowa. Right, he played in the NFL for years, and even to this day, he can go down to Iowa, and you'd think he's the governor. In fact, he should probably run for governor. He'd probably win. But the bottom line is, um, I'm going in. I'm going to put a couple of stores in Des Moines. I'm going to put one in Ames and one in Iowa City. Right, so. Those are, those are college towns, and then Des Moines is just a great hub, a great retail hub for the entire state of Iowa. Okay. Peter, you just made a fatal, fatal mistake. I have to tell you because yeah. I am an Iowa Hawkeye, and you just introduced Chad Greenway as going to Iowa State, which is the Cyclone. Oh, he's a Hawkeye. He's a Hawkeye, right? He's a Hawkeye. So I just want to make sure and clarify this, because you said Iowa State, which is not Iowa Hawkeye. So Yeah, no, no, he's a Hawkeye. (laughs) Okay. For sure. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I mean, I tell you, nobody would let me live that down if I let that go by, given I'm had season tickets to the Hawkeyes for years. So I did. I did. Yeah. Well, Peter, thank you so much. You were an absolute pleasure to spend this time with. And honestly, I took away so much. And like I said, I wish I'd met you back in 2014. So you could have helped me franchise my business, but maybe there will be one in the future that I'll come up with again. So who knows? I'd love to hear about it. I'd love to hear about it. Well, congratulations for all your success. And I hope to bring some candidates your way here in the near term. That'd be awesome. Hey, thanks so much for your time. I enjoyed the interview. Yeah, you too, Peter. Thanks.